the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, it's uh, middle of July. There's not really much to talk about in the hockey world. We covered all of the signings, the trades, the free agency. So, what better way to uh, fill some time, Ryan, than let's uh, let's talk some prospects and uh, the future of the Stars. I'm always down to talk prospects. That's my favorite thing to talk about. And it's it's actually, and everything's, all the prospects are kind of fresh in my mind too because earlier this month we had a prospect development camp and so we got to see some of the guys, uh, particularly some of the uh, European players, some of the European prospects who often get forgotten just because they're not playing in games that are easily accessible to watch, whether it's via TV or... Uh, streaming here in North America, and so we've got some of those guys are fresh in our in, in my mind. It's uh, we've also it's it's actually a very good prospect system right now. Very good because you never know what how things can pan out. But we talked about this after the draft. But I think we should reiterate this to start that while the Stars have had a great off season overall, they they brought in Alexander Radulov, they 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 traded for Mark Mathot, they brought in Ben Bishop. They they've had a great off season overall. They've also had a really good off season, and I, I'll even go back to the end of the uh, to go back to May when they signed Gavin Bayreuther as a college free agent. The past four months have done they've done wonders for their their prospect system actually. Gavin Bayreuther, Gavin Bayreuther is always kind of a guy I forget about too. So I mean, that's I mean it's it's kind of when you talk just talk about the draft that Dallas had and. The guys they added that way, it's kind of easy to forget about him. Um, and you could guy also would kind of throw Dylan Hetherington in that mix too. He's a guy that obviously they got at the trade deadline this past year. He's a guy that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, and it's not necessarily because that's an indictment on him as a player and a potential in the potential that he has going forward. I think it's more so a product of the work that Jim Nill has done in adding to the system over the last couple months. So, uh, you know, there's been times in the past, I mean, not the not too recent past where Dallas was viewed as having a pretty good farm system. And it's as those guys kind of came up, obviously that they're not prospects anymore. So you lose that. And Dallas hasn't really up until this past year, I feel like done a fantastic job of replenishing that. Um, so it's been kind of a good change of pace. I mean, I think we've, I think the, um, We've kind of seen it the last couple of years. The way the NHL is going in the future, especially now that the salary cap isn't as rising as meteorically as it was a couple of years ago, is the way to build your team, especially if you have good, young, borderline superstars like Dallas has and Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, is those guys are going to be the guys you want to pay, so you're going to need to fill your lineup out with cheap young players and I, we saw it with Pittsburgh. With you look at Jake Gensel, led the team, or was second on the team in goals in the playoffs or whatever, and Connor Sherry and guys like that. So it's it's kind of the way the league is trending towards. I, I don't want to say trending towards because it's always. I, f- I feel like obviously, not obviously, but I feel like the best way to build your team is through the draft, and now it's becoming more imperative than ever that. The, that you hit on those draft picks and those guys quickly become integral parts of your team. 
and I, and I want to stay in Dallas prospects, but just to, on a quick side note, and you talk about trends, and you talk about how many other GMs are taking notice of what David Poyle did in the past couple days, and just looking at that for future RFA contracts, because that, for example, that Victor Arvidsson deal, where Victor, that could be a steal. I mean, to sign Victor Arvidsson to what seven years, four point two five per, I think. I mean, frankly, it's it's what the Stars did with John Klingberg off John Klingberg's entry-level contract, where you basically, if he turns into the player you think he is, it's a steal for the team. Otherwise, you're given a long-term contract to a guy who you don't know how he's going to pan out. So we talk about young guys and, and, and staying within the cap and just in a NHL ex- real-life NHL example right now, something, I mean, you're looking at something along the lines where Na- uh, Nashville, I think, Someone put out there between Arvidsson, Forsberg, and Arvidsson, Forsberg, Ekholm, and two other key players. They those guys only take up like 19 million in cap in cap hit for next season. And that's a side. And that's and I realize this is an aside, but you brought up trends and battling the cap and and, and young guys and guys that they either drafted or uh, for Forsberg. They obviously they traded for Forsberg in the uh, in, with Washington, but but building and this is a team that played in the cup final last year right and you know it it, it kind of with stuff we've seen this offseason it kind of goes both ways on that i i feel like there's very few people who are at more than just casual hockey fans who think the arvidsson deal is anything but a great deal for nashville someone i was kind of i do this thing where i just click on a tweet and then I read the replies because I have no respect for myself and I just like seeing negativity like that. And someone just tossed the name Philly Leno out in there and it, I kind of got shivers from that. And I'm like, okay, I guess I could see that. But even if, unless Arvidsson totally bombs out like Philly Leno did, it's not going to be a bad contract because the way the NHL has gone is, you know, Nick Bonino got that. They gave Nick Bonino the same amount of money almost average per year. So, I mean... I don't think it's a bad deal whatsoever, even if he doesn't repeat. If he comes even, and if he's even 75% of the player he was this past year, it's still a good deal. But on the same side of that coin, you look at the deal that Connor McDavid just got, and I get that Connor McDavid is the 99.999th percentile, but that's still something that resets the market, too. When you look next year, when William Nylander needs a new contract, and then the year after that, when Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews get new contracts, that stuff, I mean, that's something that could reset the market because of the thought that I heard, and this, I think Jeff Merrick said this, it's, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not Connor McDavid good, but I feel like I'm better than 50% of what he's worth. So, you know, you're looking at Austin Matthews for his next contract out of his entry level. Dude, he's probably going to be looking at something in the eight, $9 million a year range. And if he continues to improve on what he was this past year, you're like, who's going to be able to sit there and say, he's not worth it. So you have that dynamic and you have the dynamic as well that we're going to have another lockout in two or three years or whatever it is. It's completely inevitable. And I've just, it's, it's a damn shame that I have to be sit here and say, I've accepted there's going to be another lockout, but you know, there's going to be another lockout when the next labor deal is when up. You, and when you look at it, 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 it sucks. It, let's just be completely sucks. But when you take a look and you look at when the players are planning for it, when you look at these contracts, when you look at the amount of, um, the amount of money that's being put in signing bonus, some signing bonuses, which they get right, whether they play that season or not. When the players are planning for it, it's unfortunate and it sucks that 
we have to plan for it as well because it's it's just it's 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 an it's unfortunate reality with this league where they can't they can they can't figure it out they can't figure out labor negotiations and get things done before a deadline and 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 frankly the NHL basically trying to shoehorn the NHLPA into signing a longer deal to give them the Olympics just makes it seem just little ticky tack things like that make it even make it even worse for any hope of it there not being a lockout in three four years whatever it's going to be. I don't know what I would rather have at this point. I'd ra- if I'd rather have an NHL where you have labor instability every six years and no relatively little trauma other than that or you have an NBA where you're there's very little threat for a lockout but all your superstars are whining and wanting to be traded to the same five teams I don't know which one I would hate more I've kind of thought about that a lot today and by a lot I mean like 15 Mm -hmm. minutes because I've used very little brain power today but I don't know it that's me more so taking a shot at the NBA because I think shit like that is hilarious, but whatever. Yeah, it's well, it the great thing about and high level basketball is entertaining. I want I want to say that actually first. I, I do want to say I'm not in the camp that you can you can enjoy more than one sport. I'm going to quickly make 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 that claim just on my on my part. You can enjoy more than one sport. But, and we go into an NHL playoff system where there is legitimate parity. You go in and you can make a case for all 16 teams in the playoffs can win a title. Um, In the NBA, it's been the same two teams in the final each past year. And frankly, there really was no challenge for the two teams that made the final. And that's something where if I was a hardcore NBA fan, unless I'm a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors, it's that's that's concerning because you'd like to th- you'd like to think if you get into the playoffs every other major sport in North America, if you get into the playoffs, you have a chance of, of winning the whole thing in one way or another. Um if you're a wild card team in the NFL, if you have if you if, if you catch a couple breaks, you could be in the Super Bowl and you could win the Super Bowl. Baseball, you could you could win the if you get the pitching if your pitchers come in, come in you could be a wild card team that goes on and wins a divisional series wins an AL NLCS and, and and you could win a World Series as a wild card team. In the NHL, we've seen eight seeds win 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 the Stanley Cup. NBA, you have a spot where it's you literally go into the playoff format where everyone knows it's pretty much common knowledge that there's three or four teams and that's it. Which is which would be frustrating if I was a if I was a hardcore basketball fan that would be frustrating for me. And I get the argument that a lot of the NHL's parody. We are so off topic now, but I want to before we get back on topic, mm-hmm. I want to finish with this point. And I get I like I love the parody that the NHL. I mean, Nashville this year was the eighth seed in the West, and they were two games mm-hmm. away from winning the Stanley Cup. They waxed the number one seed in the West in the first round this year. So Nashville was a uh, Nashville was two two. Average games by Pecorine away from winning the Stanley yeah, Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And and right. on the same side of that coin, they were Pecorine playing out of his mind from probably getting blasted out of the first round too. So it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of, it's it's sort of the same, but it's more so, it's, the hockey is so much more so a team sport than basketball and not because the importance of superstars isn't important, but you could totally get by in hockey without 
a true superstar on your team. And that's, I feel like that's not necessarily the case in basketball. But anyway, the point that I was trying to make here was I get, I like, like I said, I like the parody, but I, and I, but I, at the same time, I do appreciate the point that a lot of that parody is almost forced upon us by the loser point. And that's really why we see so many teams as close as they are because the NHL has, because it is such a close league and a lot of these games are, the NHL knows a lot of these games are going to end up tied after regulation. So, Hey, let's incentivize that with a point or whatever. And that sort of artificially inflates the standings to keep more teams in it longer. And that's why we see, and this isn't me grinding gears because I like the trade deadline and lately the trade deadline has been kind of a bummer because there's three teams that are legitimately out of it and they don't always have tradable pieces to trade at the trade deadline. So that's more so me griping than anything, but I mean, that's why we harped on the loser's point before and it's kind of not worth getting into it again at this point. No, no, we're trying. So, well, let's get back to. So, we're trying to talk about prospects, and we're trying to talk about the future of the stars and potential future of the stars. I think that's the key. The key word with all of these prospects, and I want everyone to remember, is the key word is potential. And when you talk about prospect rankings and you talk about things like that, you're talking about a guy's potential. These are, in the most for the most part, these guys are 18, 19, 20 year old, 20 year olds who you don't know how they're going to pan out. Um, for I mean. Sometimes the, I mean, the classic example of Jamie Ben being a fifth round pick becomes your best two, becomes your becomes your best player. Um, let's get back on track for prospects here. Um, we talked about we kind of t- we kind of touched on it before we went off the rails here. Going back to the NHL trade deadline, um, in my you have the Stars have added through the draft, through college free agency, and via trade. The stars have added four, in, in my in my mind, in my opinion, the stars have added four of their top ten prospects. Four of four of the top, four of the stars top ten prospects right now they've added since the NHL trade deadline. If you want to go into the top fifteen and include Dylan Hetherington because I have him right outside the top ten, you have five of their top fifteen prospects they've added since the NHL trade deadline. So they've done a good job of bolstering a prospect system, one that had been kind of defined frankly by defined defined by by misses i mean you look at we can go back to the first round picks of the scott glennies and the jack campbells of the world and what jamie what's happened with jamie alexiak where jamie alexiak who i have a hard time seeing being a member of the stars past the end of october this year um now you're looking at a system where miro heishkinen looks like a very good player. He looks like a kid who could be a who could play in the NHL as a teenager potentially, who knows depending on how this following season goes and things like that. Um, they got the goalie of the future. You you'd like to think who will be the goalie of the future in Jake Ottinger. They added Jason Robertson who I think could be a very good top top 6 forward in the NHL if and he seems like he's got the right attitude for it. It's just one of those things where he's got those little skating it's it's those things where you watch him play and there's those little parts in his in his skating in his game that once he adds those and finalizes those he'll be an NHL player. And then you also have uh the past couple first round picks are starting to turn around to to start to come close too. I mean, Gurionov is starting to look like he was a guy that when everyone drafted him people people were surprised the Stars took him that early. Um just 
that's not he wasn't a popular consensus pick in that range and it, may, it might have been part of the Russian factor it might have been things like that but he's looked he looked really good in the AHL last year and I think he he's getting could be an NHL call up at some point this season depending on how numbers work out and then Riley Tufty who and you and I have said this before. If you ignore, if for Riley Tufty, you have to kind of ignore the first half of his freshman season of college because he was coming off a broken wrist. He was making the jump from college hockey, from uh, sorry, from high school hockey to college hockey, and he's starting to look like a big power forward, a guy that could be a very nice winger to have that you could use in all situations. It's kind of exciting to look through this list right now. Like it's it's one of those where when I was putting together my my prospect guide for July and I'm going through and making the top 10, it was actually fun to try and figure out, to try and rank them as opposed to in the past where there was, you'd get through the top five and it'd be like, well, I can make a case for these guys, but I don't have, it's not exciting. I mean, I have Jason Dickinson, I have Jake, Jake Ottinger as their seventh ranked prospect. That's, 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 that's a fun, that's something fun to think about for the future of this organization. Who are your first six? I know you put them out there and I totally forgot what it was. So my, my rankings, are, and the one the one caveat mine comes with is, and you may agree with me or disagree with me. Um, I have I I include Nachushkin in prospect Same. rankings because Same. I because I tr- because I treat him like a uh, and you and I both treat him like a European prospect playing in Russia. That's basically what we treat him like. Um, so my top ten rankings are I have I have uh, uh, Miro Hishkin in number one. Julius Hanka in my mind is now graduated to the NHL, so he's no longer on my list. So I have uh, Miro number one, Denis Gurionov two, uh, Rope Hints is three. Um, I have I have Val Val Nichushkin number four. I have Tufty number five. I have Jason Dickinson at number six. I have Jake Ottinger at number seven. I have Jason Robertson at number eight. I have Bayreuther at nine, and I have uh, John Nyberg at number ten. And then, kind of right off the cut for me for. Um, I just I haven't ranked them, but honorable mentions. I got the Nick Camanos, the Joseph Sacconis, the Nicholas Hansons, the Dylan Hetheringtons, and the Frederick Carlstroms are kind of right there, that next tier for me, right after the top ten. See, I don't. I'm not obviously. I'm not as plugged in as you, and I don't have. I haven't watched as much Stars prospects as you because I I just kind of passively follow through. But the the fact that we're talking about guys like Joe Sacconi, Nick Hanson. In um, Hetherington, in that like ten to fifteen range, that's I mean these are guys that used to be that in past years would be borderline top five prospects in Dallas. So that's that right there is pretty remarkable. I'd like I'd like to add in. Well, I, I feel like with with the guys that Dallas has, I, I feel like there's a very wide range between what their ceiling is and what their floor is. Which is kind of both a good thing and a bad thing. Because if you look at, I mean, all the guys that you just listed right there, I could legitimately see every single one of those guys being great to borderline, very, very great, not quite elite NHL players like that. You talk, I, there was something I saw a couple of weeks ago where it was kind of, it was talking about star power in the NHL and how it rated guys in tiers. And it was, it was, I don't know how they had the rating system, but it had like, Jamie Benn in the first tier and Tyler Sagan in the third tier. It had Steven Stamkos in the third or fourth tier. It was weird. I don't know. There was some science to was it, it, and I don't. Was it the uh, was it the ranking? I think it, I can't pronounce his last name, but Dom. Yes. Dom. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his yes, last name. That was it. He does a bunch of freelance. He he works works for the Hockey News and does some stuff for the Athletic and things like that. And so, okay. 
I saw that. I remember seeing that as well. But I, the, the 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 underlying point there is because I don't want to get into that because I don't remember reading it well enough to be able to discuss it. But I I, I feel like with the top five to seven, not eight, nine guys that Dallas has in their farm system, I see them being guys that either completely bomb out and miss the NHL, or they have the potential to be top four defensemen or top six forwards or top line forwards and blah 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 and. It wouldn't surprise me if they fell anywhere in between. Like, you look at a guy like Riley Tufty. I It wouldn't surprise me if he's five years down the line, left wing number two behind Jamie Benn with the heir apparent being on the, to the top line spot. It also wouldn't surprise me if he scores 40 points in his last three years at Minnesota Duluth, gets an AHL contract, and flames out after two years. It, it, it There's just... it's. And this is based on nothing more than, I, I don't want to say intuition because then I feel like a dumbass saying it like that. It's just, it just it, it. There's not a huge sample size with a lot of these guys, which I mean, in projecting prospects as a whole, it's kind of a crapshoot. But with the guys that Dallas has right now, there's not necessarily a huge sample size. Like, you look at Riley Tufty, you mentioned he goes right from high school to Minnesota Duluth. So that's really, it's projecting high school to be, that, that was one of the reasons why I didn't, I wasn't necessarily keen on Casey Middlestad in the draft, is going, projecting as high school to the NHL, or to college hockey, just right like that, is very difficult to do. And you look at a guy like Dennis Gurionov, who kind of started, like, he had a fantastic world junior last year, and he started to come on a little bit after that. He's a guy who he's played 57 AHL games, and before that has about as many KHL games under his belt. So there's not a huge sample size there either. And it's same thing with Jake Ottinger. I mean, he plays he plays the lion's share of his games at BU last year. But there's it just with prospects in general. It's just basically the point I'm trying to make is it's a crapshoot, and I I think the the fact that there's high ceiling is really, really good news for the future of Dallas. And all of the, all of those guys can reach their ceiling. Then Dallas is going to be in really good shape in about five years. But the fact of the matter is statistics say that that's not probable in any sort of way. So I'm, I'm kind of interested well, going ahead to see how these guys start panning out this, like just heading into this year to see what they kind of do going forward. I think there's a lot of intrigue there. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. Well, and yeah, and yeah, that's and that's we're not trying to, and to follow up on what you're saying. You're not not trying to belittle. It's exciting. You have guys who have high end potential. It's and it's. I don't want to say it's like buying a lottery ticket because buying the odds are better than buying a lottery ticket. It's not. It's not that ridiculous. Um, but is 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 Miro Hishkinen going to be the? Can he be the long term? top pairing defender for the next decade in Dallas. He has the tools to do it. I mean, you'd like to think so. He's, I mean, but then again, um, same thing. People thought, uh, oh, who was taken by, uh, who, who, who did I, uh, Patrick Stefan, just to throw a name out there of a guy who, not a Dallas draft pick, but a guy who was a, who was taken first overall, I think in 99, who, did not have a, was not a first round. Did not have a first round pick career. So those happen too. And so it's 
it's exciting to look at and, and project these things and kind of hope that these things pan out because the stars do have a lot of potential here to work with. It's we're not talking about, and we're not even talking about saying, hey, one or two guys that might have potential to be that top end player. We're talking about a handful of players that could be top end NHL talent, and that and that's exciting. Um, it's it's ironic we talk about, uh, and ironic's probably the wrong word, but um, we talk about floor versus ceiling and. For example, I think one of the guys that has the best, one of the prospects that has the best ceiling, best floor, but doesn't have a high ceiling is Rhett Gardner. Rhett Gardner is a North, he's a, uh, he was an overage draft pick from North Dakota, he plays a physical game, kills penalties. He reminds me of a guy, you know what, he's going to be, he is going to be a member of the Dallas Stars. Rhett Gardner is going to be a Dallas Star in, a, in four, three or four years. He's going to be a bottom six guy. He's never going to have a lot of points, but he doesn't have a high ceiling, but he has a he has a he has a high floor. He doesn't have a burnout floor in my mind. He has a floor where I look at him in the way he plays and and talking to enough people. He's a guy's like, yeah, he's an NHL player. Is he gonna score? Is he gonna score twenty points a year? Probably not. He's gonna be a guy who's gonna be a role player, but he's a prospect, and he's not even in the top fifteen because we rank these prospect rankings off high end and best case scenario. Rick Gardner reminds me of a guy like Curtis McKenzie where he's just kind yes. of that uh, he, I mean he's a little bit of a higher round pick than McKenzie was and he's a little bigger than McKenzie mm-hmm. was and speaking of big I mean there's there seems to be lately almost a concerted effort on Jim Nill's part to draft massive which mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's the way the I I mean I I can dig it but I feel like if these if the big guys can stay, can skate then that's good because I feel like that's kind of the way the NHL is trending but you look at all the late round picks this last year what's one thing they all had in common they're all big ass dudes and mm-hmm. i mean le- yeah and one thing i did want to say before we continue this conversation i think it's funny we're talking about um not overvaluing guys and being wary knowing that they would burn out because we're we're also talking to a fan base that watched scott glennie jack campbell and jamie alexiak get called in the first round three straight years and how many combined NHL games have those guys played in Dallas? So that's kind of a funny and horribly depressing side note. Well, yeah. So unfortunately for everyone, Stars fans who are listening are, have learned firsthand that you can't, uh, these are, these aren't certainties, obviously. So it's, it's, we've made the point over and over again now that it's, it's, it's hard to project exactly what these guys will do. And we try your, you try our best to do it and you try and get a better idea for it. Um, it is. And for example, I mean, and like I had a hard time, the one thing I had a hard time actually putting Jake Ottinger in my top 10 prospects, just because it's uh, not because of Jake Ottinger, but because of goalies in general, just because it's one of those where it's so hard to get an idea of how a goalie will actually continue to project and pan out it's uh nope dog dogs uh-oh uh-oh things are moving in the new house okay so anywho back to goalies um it's so hard to project goalies and how they'll actually pan out and so for that one reason that's why i actually had a hard time putting jake ottinger in my top 10 at at first because it's one of those where it says well i can't put a Oh come on, stop dogs! I can't put a uh, I can't put a goalie in there just knowing the history and the unlikelihood. And you see the guys who, yes, you see the 
Marc-Andre Fleury was a first overall pick. He turned into a good NHL goalie. Henrik Lundqvist was a seventh was a seventh round pick, I think, um, if I remember correctly. Seventh round pick. Um, it's goalies are hard to. That, that was a weird tangent. I apologize. I think when uh, <laughs> I have like three weeks left in my semester, I think when I have my two week break and I have nothing better to do with my life, I'm going to look up every starting goalie and well every goaltender currently projected to be on an NHL roster and their draft position just as kind of a comparison thing because you're right it's I mean obviously it's a crapshoot but I feel like it's such a crapshoot to the point that it's not even like hey, you'll find a guy in a third the second or the third round it's a crapshoot to the point that there's legitimately no exact science to it because it's I don't remember this I don't think it was even related to hockey it was just it was something what was I don't remember what it was but it's it's such a mental position and I don't know that there's necessary I I guess you could say quarterback but I don't know that there's really a position a true positional comparison across sports in any sport that compares to goalie that if you have a bad mental game as a goalie it can you could be the most gifted and talented guy in the world but if you're a head case you're screwed you're totally bound that's what i mean that's what happened to jack campbell that's why jack campbell didn't develop as as the dallas stars goalie of the future he was jack was all talented one of the best most talented prospects you've ever seen and just didn't have it up here between the ears and Jake Ottinger, and obviously it's hard to tell because it's 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 literally one year at Boston University as a freshman. But he did it as he played college hockey as an 18-year-old freshman at Boston University, started the season as a 17-year-old. And I just talking with Ottinger, talking to people who know Ottinger. I spoke to his, I've spoken to his high school, not his high school, uh, his uh, his goalie coach that coached him coming up through the AAA ranks in Minnesota, and everyone seems to think this kid's got it between the ears, and that's the what makes him so exciting as a goalie prospect. He's got it between the ears, and that that's even more important than the incredible poise. And and, uh, and it goes into part of the poise, the fact that he is mentally stable, for lack of a better word, that goes into a lot of the poise and the uh, the patience in net, but and how he, and you add that with how he's able to take advantage of, the, of his massive size, and he becomes a very, you look at him, and we talked right after they drafted him, how... He, if he pans out, it becomes a very nice transition from Ben Bishop to Jake Ottinger, and all of a sudden the Stars have a home-drafted goalie for the first time since Marty Turco. And, uh, but, 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 who knows? The, the goalie the Stars traded away, Dylan Ferguson, who was the seventh-round pick who they traded to Vegas, for all we know, he could be the best goalie from the draft. That's just 10 years from now. We could we could look back and be and say, oh, Vegas got a steal by trading Dylan Ferguson for Mark Mathot. Like, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit if that happened. That's how much of a crapshoot it is. It it's it's mm-hmm. like even like you look at guys who are elite and I'm talking Jake Ottinger going through the college routes. I mean, you look at like one guy that kind of comes to mind for me is Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. He had I, his last two his two seasons that he played at UMass Lowell. He had like a nine forty five save percent combined in like 50 games or something like just outrageous numbers and i get that hockey is a little more defensive and he was playing on a team that's not as stacked talent wise as like bc bu all those big guys who were generally turning out ntdp recruits 
And then he had a pretty decent AHL career. And then, I mean, he was good, good-ish his first year in Winnipeg. And last year, he was just meh. And they went out and got Steve Mason in the offseason to kind of help with that. So it's just, it's one of those things that you, you, you really just never know. It's just, it's so, God, I, it, it's literally like, it, I, it literally is a crapshoot. You're, you're sitting there and you're rolling and you got a big old roll going on and all of a sudden you got $1,300 on the table and, oh, there's a seven. There goes all your money. I played craps yesterday at Hollywood Casino in Toledo, so I'm kind of on a craps kick right now. Ah, it's a good game, though. I'm learning. It's, uh, yeah. Don't, uh, that, that's a, that's a, that's a game where you can make friends playing because you don't have to, your bet doesn't necessarily impact the guy next to you. No, unless you're playing like bl- at the same table as my dad and you're the person who rolls a seven and then he will mean mug you and call you an idiot to your face because half the time he's shooting craps, he's hammered out of his mind. And then I get to the point where I'm like, this was fun. And now I don't want to be around you anymore because now these people are looking at us because they think you're an asshole because you are. He wasn't there shooting crafts with me, though. I don't know where he is right now. Those are just, that's just past the Koviak family room. Yes, those are every literally okay. every Vegas trip I've ever made. Well, let's let's uh, talk a couple about more about actual prospects here. That last sentence I just said wasn't a sentence at all. I realized that. Um, one thing that we've noticed with the Stars prospect pool, and you take a look at. Uh, kind of the guys we mentioned to the top 10 and we take a look at the kind of the development route and the stars have have re- under Jim Nill and it's not it shouldn't be as much of a surprise because obviously um, uh, Joe McDonnell who runs the stars draft for Jim Nill came with him from Detroit but we're seeing the stars are they focus when it goes through the draft and they focus on the prospects they're going through and it's heavy on the Europeans. It's heavy on, not heavy, but it, it's. I, I would argue there's a higher percentage of college-bound prospects in the star system than the average prospect pool, um, because it's. Uh, and there's not many. They don't really rely that heavily on major junior. I mean, I know they took Jason Robertson in this draft at a major junior in the second round, and um, but the rest of the guys, the two other, and the two other guys they took out of the WHL were guys who guys who they're really taking flyers on but it's it's interesting to see the stars draft identity and their prospect identity as it started to grow where they're basically trying to prove they can either prove it or or they actually i don't want to say prove it but they actually believe they can scout european players better than other teams that's what it's starting to show they're trying to it's it's it goes into the fact with them saying they had them saying they had a Miro as the top player on their board, and if they had the number one prick, they probably would have taken him. And them jumping up to take Gurionov, um, and just kind of looking at the the talent where they found with uh, with with, with Rope hints. It's 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 been interesting to me just to see the amount of the reliance on their Finnish and Swedish scouts, and then uh, who actually their Finnish scouts also end up doing a lot of their Russian scouting too. Interestingly enough, so. It, it almost feels like it's that old school Detroit way where you kind of utilize your European guys to go out and find players that aren't necessarily being scouted heavily. Because for the long guy, God, in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, how many guys did Detroit 
bring up through their system that played major junior. I don't know that number off the top of my head because I don't, but it is just something that I kind of thought about literally right after you said that, but it, it couldn't have been a lot because those guys that like, like the, the Holmstrom's, the Zetterberg's, the Datsuk's, the Cronwall's, these aren't guys that are going up through major junior. And that's, you're right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the route, route that Dallas has taken. I just jotted down nine names right now that I would kind of have in consideration for, top 10 prospects and two of them played major junior. So was that, where was that Robertson and Dickinson? Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it's quite, I, it, it's almost like, I don't, I don't really, it, it's, it's like they're kind of looking for maybe not necessarily guys that are viewed as the most talented coming out of their draft year, but players that they're looking to be more, physically and on ice mature when they're ready to turn pro because when you draft when you draft a guy who's playing professionally in Europe they're playing they've they're guys who in their draft year generally played against played in the top league and not in the junior league in Europe so they're playing against men already so their game is going to be more mature than a guy who played in the OHL and when you look at college guys these are guys who are playing two games every week and not three, four, five games. So, and, and there's, I mean, there is travel with it, especially with the way that college hockey has kind of reshaped itself the last couple of years. So it, it's not as, it's not as regional as it, I mean, in the, in the East, East coast, it kind of still is not as much out West anymore, but these are guys who aren't playing and traveling all the time. So they're staying in a lot of staying at home. And a lot of their regiment throughout the week is lifting weights and getting stronger and it seems as if that those are the kind of the guys that Dallas is targeting. So that way, when they're ready to turn professional, they're, they may not have been the most skilled guys in their draft, but their game might be more refined at that point than counterparts who played in the Canadian Hockey League. And, and they're drafting guys who, are, who play well into Jim Nill's overripe mentality. Because you draft a guy at a major junior... You have to, he basically, if you draft a player out of major junior, there is both an expectation and a very real deadline, basically, for him to be pro. Um, because they can only play, they can only basically play uh, two more seasons in the in major junior, and then they theoretically could go back for an overage year um, and, and play an overage year, but... If you go back and play an overage year, sometimes that gets frowned upon. It looked as well if you had to go back and play major junior. And so there's an expectation and a timeline that comes with the major junior guys where if a guy isn't a pro by the time he's 21, something's wrong with his development. He didn't he didn't do something right or the organization didn't do something right. Where on the flip side with the European guys, if you draft a... I bet I bet a lot of people wouldn't be able. I bet a lot of people, if I asked them when, uh, I, I bet a, a lot of random people on the street, stars not random people on the street, stars fans on the street, wouldn't know what round and what year Rope Hins was drafted. Just like if I if I told you, if I just said, hey, when is when was Rope when was Rope Hins drafted? I bet if you it asked was, a lot of random stars fans on the street, they couldn't even tell you who he was. Because half the time I forget that he's a prospect in their organization. Yeah, but Rope Hintz was a kid kid who was drafted in the second round in 2015. He was allowed to develop on his own time and 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 grow on his on his own terms in time frame. 
and now he's ready to come over to the AHL. If he didn't come over to the AHL this season, there wouldn't have been disappointment. It would have been it would have been okay if it, if it was next year or the year after even. It would have been like, oh well, he's coming over from Europe. It's okay. There's there, we're allowed to do that. Or and and same thing with a uh, with a college guy where Riley Tufty. Riley Tufty's allowed to spend four years getting bigger and stronger and, and growing into his body, and there's not an expectation where, well, by the time he's 21, he has to be ready for the AHL. Because if he's not ready for the AHL at 21, that means we have to send him to the ECHL. And it's, I mean, the Stars are basically going, tapping into that pool of prospects and that uh, potential prospects in the draft right now of guys who fit the realm of they can quote-unquote over-ripen or if if a guy comes out of co- out of college at 21, 22, and spends two years in the AHL, and he's making his NHL debut at 23, 24, we're not complaining about that. Where if a guy comes out of major junior and he spends and he spends year just 20, 20, 21, and 22 season in the AHL, we start saying, oh, he's spending three years in the AHL, he must suck. And it's just it, it kind of creates an interesting outside. Uh, both internal and outside expectation that that's applied to these major junior kids that you don't have applied to these college and European players that works well with what the stars are trying to do. And I, I really don't want to dive into this, but I'm going to now. It's it goes into the same realm, realm and I wrote about it this week. Is Julius Honk is a good player. <laughs> I, I I really didn't want to get into this today, but there was the. I think it was a week and a half ago or a week ago, there was the narrative on Twitter from, I believe it was a Toronto-based media member, and it was who was basically going through and saying that Julius Honka isn't an impressive prospect because he wasn't able to get out of the AHL. It took him three years to get out of the AHL. And it was... It's almost as if playing in the NHL as a 19-year-old is really hard and there's only a you can count on one hand the number of guys who are able to do it every year. Right? Right? I mean, it's... I So, it's... The Honka thing, let me flesh this out since I, I opened this can of worms. Julius Honka would have been... Julius Honka turned pro, was playing pro hockey at 18 in the AHL. 98% of his draft class was still was still playing major junior or playing back in Europe or, or playing wherever. And he then was forced, not forced, it was a setup where the Stars actually had an interesting loophole since he was was drafted technically from his Finnish team and on loan to Swift Current, but he had to learn on the fly. And, and I, I covered I covered the Texas Stars on, on the beat at the time, and Julius Honka was, as an 18-year-old, he was targeted. It was It was tough. He was going through things that... Opponents knew he was a first-round pick. They knew his pedigree, and and they picked on him as an 18-year-old teenager, and he grew from that. And then as a 19-year-old, he continued to grow. And and while other guys from his draft class, who I'm sure there's people who are saying, oh, they're going to be a good prospect. They're turning pro this year. He's already he's already been pro for th- he's already been in AHL. He was already in the AHL for three years. Um, I'm rambling, but the moral of the end. Julius Honka is a good player. He has a he has a he has a high he has a high ceiling. He has a he has a high floor as well. He will be. I wouldn't feel bad saying he's going to be the Stars' best defenseman in the future. He's going to be. I 
someone asked me if he'd be better than John Klingberg, and yes, he's going to be a better player than John Klingberg. He is a better all-around player. He actually plays defense effectively. He knows how to use his body and positioning-wise and things like that. Plays a little more edge, and I've talked to multiple scouts, not from the Stars at all, just, just not, just talk to scouts that have no affiliation with the stars at all who have who have there's a scout from a uh, eastern conference organization who has told me before that he looks at Honka as one of the players who could be one of the most dominant defensemen in all three zones in three or four years and so Julius Honka is a good player that ends my rant I let's talk about something else well, Ryan. It, before we move on and I don't remember I don't know if you touched on this in your rant because I used that opportunity to go get another beer. But um, it, we talked about this at least three or four times this year, that he was a guy who looked bored in the AHL this year because he shouldn't have – because he was too he, – he was like at that level where you look like a guy like Travis Boren who is probably not necessarily too good for the AHL but not necessarily good enough to be an everyday NHL guy except – that Julius Honka is was 19, 20 years old last year, and he was literally in that position because Jim Nill totally botched the defensive defenseman situation in Dallas. That's the only reason he was playing in the AHL, and I mean it kind of worked out in Dallas's favor because there was as nice as it would have been to have him up there and kind of learning. Because I mean, even if you're learning up learning on the fly with that team and you're making mistakes, it wasn't going to do any harm anyway. I, I it still works out in the end, and I just. I don't understand how some people have the jobs that they hold when they say stupid things like that. It baffles me. But okay, let's let's talk about something else because I this is going to make me mad too because I agree. I think yeah. it's it's going to be fun to watch Honka this year and the year after oh, that. Yeah. He's he's uh he's he's got he if you talk about you, you know, you have five tool players in baseball. I think he's about as close to a five tool player as the stars have in their system right now. I mean, I love the idea. Like personally, I love the idea of thinking three, four years from now, you're looking at your top pairing of a finished pairing of Heishkin and, and Honka. That could be very fun to and watch in three or four. I years. don't want to say by saying I think that Julius Honka is going to be better than John Klingberg. I don't want that to come off as me saying that I don't think John Klingberg's going to continue to be a really good defenseman over the next the duration of his contract and even beyond that. I just I think that highly of Julius Honka. If you look at I I don't think he's quite as dynamic as a guy like PK Subban. And I I mean PK Subban's obviously in an echelon of his own just because of the the gravitas that he brings to the game, but He's almost kind of, I, I view him as kind of like a poor man's P.K. Subban, where he kind of, he can kind of get up in your face. He can do really strong things with the puck. He can make a good breakout pass. He can skate the puck up ice as needed. He can defend. He's not afraid to get dirty in the corners. And that, I mean, they're, they're all, these are all characteristics you look for in a defenseman. And he's also, I mean, and also if, if, if you were to print out, if you were to run all your analytics, and because I know someone, the Honka argument was based off of AHL Corsi or whatever, whatever it was based off of. If you were to run all of your analytics and try and build the perfect three-on-three overtime player, it would print out a picture of Julius Honka. But, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, we saw the we saw the the goal he scored his first NHL goal last year. 
um, in three on three, where he was on the ice with Jason Spezza and Jamel Smith, and he made Jamel Smith look like I don't want to say Connor McDavid, but he made Jamel Smith look like he was a he made Jamel Smith look like a top six NHL forward. Like he basically used Jamel Smith to 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 control possession, and and he played a two man game with Jamel Smith, and he controlled the ice, and it, it was he. Overtime will actually be fun to watch for Stars fans this year because Honka is on the ice. I and with that, yeah, let's, um, I mean, he had yeah. his, his, he made pretty he's made pretty strong improvement in his AHL numbers over the last three years. I mean, his point total was the same this last year as it was his rookie year, but he also played eighteen fewer games. So, I I, I and he played. I'm just looking at his hockey DB page now. It's not like I have these numbers memorized. But then, I mean, 13 fewer points than his second year, but he also played 23 fewer games. So you're looking at natural progression that has taken its course. He's 21 years old right now. I feel and, – and, and, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and set expectations too high for him because as still as a 21-year-old defenseman playing in the NHL, that's still not easy. And defensemen take – a lot longer to develop than forwards do. So I, it, it's not one of those things where it's, you know, he's going to come right in and he's going to be, boom, money right away. Like, you look at, I pulled up Victor Hedman's page just now for comparison, and, and they're obviously not the same player Victor Hedman was taken 12 spots higher in the draft or whatever, and he was viewed as coming out of that draft as being potentially the next Nick Lindstrom. And it wasn't until his fifth year that he kind of hit his stride offensively. His fifth professional, his fifth NHL season, not fifth North American season. So, mm-hmm. and, and oh, I'm trying to do math. I, I guess, granted, he was still 20. He started at 18 in the NHL. So I guess, granted, that was still his 22 or 23-year-old season. But basically, the point of the matter is, is if Julius Honka doesn't come out and put up 50 points this year, don't be disappointed. If he doesn't come out this year and he doesn't even have 30 points, don't just be disappointed. It's tough. NHL hockey is tough. And he's going to grow into it, and I have I have confidence in that. I, I'm kind of excited. He, he's going to be one of those guys that he's going to make some boneheaded mistakes this year. But very much so. at, at the same very time, so. he's going to do things with the puck that there's going to be – there's probably only – well, the Dallas did stock up on skill a little bit in the offseason. So there's good – but he's still going to do guys with the puck that maybe only – five or six other guys on the team can do. So it's going to be fun to watch. Well, and, and he's also going to play for a coach that is going to, uh, from my understanding and talking to enough people, um, Rick Wilson, who will run the defense now. Rick Wilson likes to get his six defensemen set, and he likes to let them play. So with a coaching staff that is going to allow, is going to get kind of be set in their mind and, and go with their six defensemen they want to roll with, Julius Honka could make mistakes in a game. He could get benched for poor proportions of the of the period, but that doesn't mean he's going to be have what we called Stephen John syndrome last year, where Stephen Johns would make one mistake and then all of a sudden would play timid for the rest of the night and then be in the press box for three more games. So Honka is going to be in a good spot this year, um, and he's going to be fun to watch. Um, let's let's move to guys since we've graduated Honka from prospect status and we just talked about him for way too long. I want to kind of break this down positionally as we go forward here. And uh, 
Which 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 position group do you want to start with, Ryan? I, I, I want to go through the stars, prospects, by positions, the forwards, the goalies, the defense, and I want to break it down into three. And we'll each. And we'll, I want to break it down into three things. From each group, we'll pick player who we think could be the best overall player from that group, the player who's currently closest to the NHL, and the player who could surprise some people. And I want to pick one guy from the forwards, one guy from the defense, one from the goalies group. Uh, which which group do you want to start with? Um, let's start with. Uh, I, I was going to say let's start with goalies because I feel like that'd be the easiest, but I think we can wrap up with that. Let's do defense. Okay. So, if we're talking about the defense group, the guy who could be. Is it fair to say we agree that this one's easy for the player who could be the best is, is Miro Heiskanen? He's the guy with the highest. Yes. Like that's. Yes. It's since. We've both established that Julius Onk is no longer a prospect. Yes, I don't think there's a question that there's... I, I think Miro could even be better than Honk in the future, but I don't think if we're just among guys who are currently considered prospects, I don't think that there's really anyone in the system who kind of comes within spitting distance mm-hmm. of what Miro's ceiling is. Very much so. And, and and the other interesting thing is he might even be the guy you could make the case for is the closest to... Probably is the guy of the prospects who you could make the case is the closest to being NHL ready right now, um, since, and I, I'm going to say that 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 he is. Um, but then to to give an answer one B to that, if if Miro is both the highest ceiling and the closest to being NHL ready, I look at a guy like um, it's probably I look at Nicholas Hansen as a guy who could be hypothetically say he has a strong year this strong showing in the AHL this year and the stars run into injury problems and they need to call a guy up he could be a guy who could make his NHL uh, who could be who could be close to NHL ready just with with his game um you could even he's still a couple years away but you could make a case for Joseph Sacconi too as, as being close to NHL ready just because he plays we, we, we see guys who come out of that Michigan system tend to be ready for pro hockey. Um, it's just it's just kind of something they've done. And I don't know if, I mean, I know they changed the coach, but I don't think the culture is going to change there. Um, cause, no, because uh, Mel, Mel Pearson's a Michigan guy, so it'll probably be pretty, yeah. pretty similar to what Red was running. Yeah, so, well, who would I kind of monopolize the conversation right there? So do you have... Who in your mind do you have as closest NHL ready? Is is it Miro? Is it like Um, in terms of straight out of camp, I would say Miro. I think it's gonna be interesting to see if he just comes in and blows them out of the water in camp and he's clearly one of their six best defensemen, what they end up doing mm-hmm. since they're already running at nine guys on defense. Uh and that'd make things a little bit more complicated. Um but he, but Miro's a guy that if he doesn't make the team out of camp, he's completely out of the question this entire year. I think we can agree on because he's going back to Finland and he's going to be there for the duration of the year. Assume operating under the scenario that he doesn't make the team out of camp, I think the guy that would be most NHL ready is Dylan Hetherington, mm-hmm. just because of I, I think it'd be a toss up between him and, and Nick Hansen. Um, but I would probably give the edge to Hetherington just because of his extensive AHL experience to this point. And Nick Hansen has like 10 games or whatever in the AHL at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I mean, I think the, um, I think that decision and conversation will come down to who's playing better at the time. And I mean, I feel like Gavin Bayreuther could even be in that conversation right there. So it's uh, between those three guys, it's almost, you'd have to get a, uh, we, our thing at our house hasn't been doing a coin flip. We found a dreidel at the bar a dreidel. like a month and a half ago, and it's got four sides on it. So whenever we have to make an important decision in the house, we spin the dreidel okay. and whatever color comes up that I, it's like a dreidel spin who, who would be the most NHL ready for this year. Uh, you, also, <laughs> you also have, I guess someone to add to that dreidel just in this conversation just because if he's playing the best at the time, and I don't think he's a long-term NHL player. He's never really impressed me that much, but if he's playing the best at the time this year, you have Ludwig Bistrom, who could be in the conversation to be an injury call-up as well. That's true. That is true, and I, I could see that too. So, I mean, it, 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 these are guys who are – there's some there's there is NHL potential there, but, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see. And, I mean, you also have to factor in if – there's no trade market for defensemen eight and nine in the preseason, and they end up making it through waivers. Those are guys who could be, who are, who would probably in that event be the injury call up anyway. Yeah, so exactly, I, it just depends. There's a lot of moving parts still. What about uh, underrated defenseman or guy who you think if if you were to look at this group and someone people were gonna you were say keep an eye on this guy or that guy who would what falls under that category for you in this defenseman group? I was gonna say Nick Hansen, and then you kind of mentioned him right there because I feel I feel like he's a guy who has offensive upside, and he's but depend. I feel like this is a pretty big year for him developmentally wise. He if he comes out, he's a. I feel like he's a guy who doesn't necessarily have the ceiling that John Klingberg has shown, but he's kind of in that same vein where he could. I I feel like he could be a guy who comes over from overseas and finds his offensive game and becomes sort of that next guy who. You, we weren't really factoring into the future plans who kinds of shoehorns his way into there. But I'm going to go ahead and say Hetherington just because he's a guy that, I mean, I kind of forget about him. And he was he was almost an after, afterthought of that trade deadline deal with Columbus where they just kind of, it was almost as if he was a throw-in to get Korpikoski who didn't even really end up playing for them much down the stretch. But, I mean, he was a guy who went in the top 50 of the draft, his draft year. He's a big dude. He's played a ton of hockey in the AHL. Like he's a steady defensive defenseman, which I mean, I think those are guys that kind of get a bad rap nowadays. But I, with his first full year in Texas coming up, he wasn't bad down in Austin at the end of the year. I think he kind of, I think the change of scenery helped him out a little bit. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does this year because I mean, in the same vein with Hanson, this is a big year for him too. I feel like if he comes in and acquits himself this year, he's a guy who can also force himself into the future plans on the left side in Dallas too. I'm going to go with the guy and I'm going to go and when they signed him, they knew he was going to be, it was a low risk signing. Um, I'm going to go with my under the radar guy just, and I don't even, and if you told if you asked me if I would think of the NHL, I wouldn't even say he would right now. But I just look at if, if he would even be an NHL player someday. I don't even know if I could confidently say he would. But I look at Andre Valla, and who's a who what they signed as a who went undrafted. They signed as a free agent last year, impressed them in training camp. Um, he is he's got good size. He's six four, around two fifteen, two twenty. And he's got a hell of a. He's got a heavy shot. He does a good job. He's got kind of that good heavy shot that those big guys have, where they get their entire body weight behind it, type thing. Um, and he, 
made it. He actually ended up playing an AHL game last year, a couple of AHL games last year, as kind of in a surprise when the Texas Stars are dealing with a ton of injuries and didn't look completely out of out of sync. His skating, he his skating and his positioning need some work. Like it's one of those where he's a guy who he needs a good two, three years of just of dedicating himself to his edge work and just making sure his his. But I just look at the raw tools and it. it he could be three, four years from now, if you're looking at options maybe on that left side as a bottom-pairing guy who can be defensively sound and kill some penalties, he could be that option. And that, So I'll, I'll go with Andre Valla as the underrated guy to maybe keep an eye on just because I think there's, there's some things there that people aren't going to notice. If, if he's going to be a prospect, people are going to take notice of it's not going to be for two or three years just because of some of the things he has to grow into and adjust his game to. But I think the potential is there for that surprise. I like that pick. That's actually kind of a good pick in terms of someone that people don't really think about at all. So let's go to forwards. Um, if you're picking just a player, we'll start with, once again, highest ceiling amongst the forwards. Who's who's number one for you? Honestly, I'd have to say Val. Okay. And it, it's, it's almost kind of a... I see highest ceiling's not necessarily a cop-out as much as the surprise one is, it, but it's, it's one of those things that I, he's... I feel like he's also kind of a guy that gets lost in the prospect shuffle because people tend to forget about him because they've seen him before and then he went away. I think that I obviously that he was a guy in his draft class that was most people I feel like expected to go top five and he fell because of the flight risk to the KHL, which surprise it happened. But I, I, I think going back, will do it has done him some good and will continue in this next year will continue to do him good and then when he comes back he's going to have obviously Radulov's going to be on the team next year there's a chance that Gurionov makes the team out of camp so he's going to have some guys on the team that he can be buddy buddy with which I as dumb as it sounds I think plays a big role in some of these with 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 foreign guys because you know you want someone that you can bond with that you have a common language with especially it's not like like a lot of the the Finnish guys and the Swedish guys speak pretty good English when they come over. Not necessarily the Russian guys, so I think for them it's 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 beneficial to have someone on the team that they can connect with on a personal level. So that I think that'd be good for him when he comes back. It, that he didn't necessarily have the first go around, and I mean the, the tools are there for him. And he was a guy that God, there was. I, I feel like we talked about this once or twice, but he missed like five or six goals in his rookie year just because he got stoned on breakaways when he powered down the right side and blew past everyone and the goalie just made a great save on him in close. So he, I, with more maturity in his game, I feel like he's a guy that he's going to see results. And I, he, he has, I feel like the potential to be a point per game player in the NHL. That's fair. I, uh, I'm going to, I got, I'm going to go with Gary Onuf as my highest ceiling guy. I just, I think there is, I really like what I've seen out of him just when he came out when he 
And real quick, actually, before I go into Guryanov, just on the, the factor of having some familiarity in your own countrymen in your locker room, Alish Hemsky deserves a ton of credit for Roddick Fox's success in the NHL. Roddick Fox, uh, from he was able to... Fox was more comfortable dealing with... Uh, was more comfortable having a fellow Czech player in the locker room. He even actually lived with Hemsky for a little bit. And... I'm not saying Radulov will open up his door and be Val's landlord, but having a player like that goes a long way. It's one of those things where it's it, it, it's it's nice to have. You can you can see in the locker room. You can see the the Finns talk to the Finns, the Swedes talk to the Swedes. It's nice having someone to talk to in your own language. And when when Val was here, he was the only Russian. He was. And he didn't speak much English anyway, and so he was, I mean, he was even at a point where, I mean, I don't even know, most people don't even realize, like, Val was actually, when Val was living here, he was living by himself, and he was living in a uh, community, in a uh, in an area that was, uh, he was actually living in the same, like, community that Ralph Strangis was living in at the time, the former Stars play-by-play announcer which was basically a community of people that were 55 plus. That was Val was living like in an apartment complex where he was probably the only person that was under 40, nonetheless under 20. And so he just was kind of and then he went to the lot went to the locker room and he spoke very little English and no one spoke Russian and so he comes back to when he comes back to the Stars to have if he comes back to the Stars, that's obviously the big if, but if he comes back to have Radulov, who will speak Russian, if Guryanov's up already, just having a little bit of a Russian contingency could be huge for Val's comfort level. Um, anywho, back to my the Russian I was talking about and Guryanov, who I think could be the top forward in this group. I just think there's... No, there's we saw some of his... He's... Guryanov kind of reminds me of like the sports. He's like a sports car without a GPS right now. Um, like he's got, he's got incredible speed. He's got he he's, he's so bunch of raw tools, everything like that. Get he doesn't know where he's going all the time. Where it's one of those things where whether it's whether it's shooting the puck or whether it's shooting the puck or making the right play or anything like that. It's one of those where he puts a hundred percent effort into everything, pedal to the metal, everything, and has a incredible talent, incredible work ethic, but just needs a little bit more of that. This is this is what you need to do at this moment, and this is where you need to be here. Things like that. Um, and once he gets that, he could be a hell of an NHL player. He could be a great NHL player. Um, that's uh, So that's that's my top ceiling guy. Um, who's your guy, Ryan, if you're looking at prospects who is closest to NHL ready to playing in the NHL today? I'd say uh, Rope Hints. Um, he's uh, he had a really good year in Finland last year. He's a uh, based on. Um, I don't want to call him necessarily an under the radar guy because he has obviously a second round pick pedigree to him. But he's uh, just based on the number of people who were harping for Dallas to draft a center at three overall to be the heir apparent to the second line spot when Spencer moves on or whatever it's, it, it's it's funny to talk about the heir apparent to Spezza as the second line center when Spezza won't even be the second line center anymore exactly exactly but um 
Yeah, it, like just the number of guys who, the number of people I saw on Twitter who were clamoring for Gabe Velarde at number three because we need another center, blah, blah, blah. No, well, we have a center who's going to be pretty decent, I feel like. I he, I mean, he was pretty good in the regular season, and then he was a point-per-game guy in the playoffs last year. I, I feel like just wait, with the way the roster is constructed right now that the first call-up is going to end up being someone like Remy Ellie or Jamel Smith because I don't think that either of those guys are going to make the roster out of camp. Or I mean, you even look at a guy like Jason Dickinson. I I guess I should say Jason Dickinson because I don't know that he's going to necessarily make the roster either. Mm-hmm. But if you look at I, Jason Dickinson's also kind of a guy that he's kind of on that awkward cusp of he's still a prospect, but he's kind of only a prospect because he was coming off of a hip injury and that killed a lot of his development. And he might make the team, but he might not make the team. So I'd say Dickinson in terms of overall, like guys who I think are going to potentially compete for opening night roster spots. But I feel like Rope is a guy who is a lot closer than most people kind of give him credit for at this point. I think a lot of people need to remember, and I know Devin Shore had a great uh, Devin Shore had a great start to the AHL the year before and everything like that. But if Jason Dickinson comes into training camp. Uh, last season completely healthy he and Devin Shore are competing for that spot and maybe we're talking about Devin Shore is still as an AHL player it's that's that's something I think a lot of people need to remember with Dickinson where he came off that hip surgery where and and who knows because obviously and who, who knows how things could and obviously revisionist history is always difficult to play with but Dickinson was the first round pick if him and Shore if he and Shore had had similar training camps last year the tie goes to the number to the first round pick just if you're just thinking about guys who... So Dickinson, theoretically, if things had played out a little bit differently, he could have been an NHL player already. Full-time NHL player. Um, and so he's... And I agree with you. He's the one who's closest to being in the NHL duty this year. Um, you've got... Uh, I mean, technically, you have... You could count Jam- Jamel Smith and Remy Ellie, or um, Jamel Smith, at least, is kind of in that weird gray area because... He's a prospect. Jamil Smith is weird because he's he's a. Uh, I, I still have this. I still have the vision of him playing in the ECHL last, just the season before, and it's a good story that he went from the ECHL to the NHL. But Jamil Smith is a player that doesn't really have much of a high ceiling. So I and that, and so I have a problem just kind of classifying him as an NHL in my mind when I think immediately think prospect, I don't think of Jamel because I think of I have him listed as a prospect, but in my mind I don't immediately think of him as a prospect. I think of him as a AHL NHL tweener. That's what I think of him as, which is kind of I, I think of him in the same camp as I think of Justin Dowling. That's a fair comparison, I would say. Mm-hmm. Where it's not, it's not bad. I mean, they can. Justin Dowling, for example, is a four A player. He is a Justin Dowling is a four A player. Jamel Smith is essentially a four A player. I know he's got good speed and he could and he could play in the NHL, but it's like I, I remember seeing there was people who talked. There was some talk that uh, that people were upset that that the Stars added so many so many veterans and added so much depth at forward and people were talking about oh well they're making it difficult for the Remy Alleys and the Dickinsons to make the roster and everything like that and they included Jamel Smith and making it hard for Jamel Smith to make the roster and I like Jamel Smith and he's a good story but Jamel Smith is not an NHL roster player on a good NHL team not on a 
He is not a opening night. Let me put this. Let me phrase this correctly. Jamel Smith is not an opening night NHL roster player on a team that is supposed to contend for a Stanley Cup. Fair. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm not trying to rip on Jamel Smith, even though I am. Um, he's a he's a good story, and he's a and you know for a NHL team that is supposed that is not competing in the that hopes to be amongst the top teams in the Western Conference, he could be a good he could be an NHL player and a fourth liner for them. He's got he's but um anywho Dickinson's the guy who we have as the closest to being NHL ready amongst the prospects. If you're looking at this forward group and who's the underrated guy, the guy that we need to keep an eye on, keep tabs on, who two three years from now will be happy that you'll be ha- you'll be able to say, hey, I knew him when. Uh, I would say Frederick Karlstrom. Not that he was really a late round guy. Ninety overall is still relatively early in the grand scheme of things, but he's a guy who took a pretty significant step forward in Sweden this year playing in the men's league primarily instead of just their junior league. He turn, doesn't turn 20 until January. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do this year. I think he's a guy who they might, depending on the year he has in Sweden this year, is a guy they might be targeting towards the end of this coming season as a guy to make the jump over to the AHL. Uh, 24 points last year in 45 games. So I he kind of... I think put himself on the map a little bit last year and he kind of gets lost in the shuffle now that they added a lot to the uh, system since they took him a year ago in the draft. But um, he's a guy, I think that could pay some dividends down the line. And we'll be, I think we'll, I think we should have a chance to watch him at world junior this year as well. If I remember correctly, if I, if I do math on his age, cause he was, he played world junior last year um, as a 18 uh, year old. And so he uh, actually, Will he be will he be available for World Junior this year? I'm trying to he should yeah, be. He should, yeah. His birthday is uh, he's nineteen. He doesn't turn twenty until January twelfth, so the tournament be over by then. Yeah, so he should be an option for World Junior. Um, that's a good pick. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Nick Camano, who is we. I think he's a little bit more well known just because he's played in North America, but he's still a guy who fifth round pick kind of came in as a real scrawny like it's fun it's it's funny how we see like these guys heights listed sometimes like Nick Kamano is listed at six foot two and I'm 5'10 Nick Kamano is not that much taller than I am I talked to him and just it's one of those where so he came in he was kind of he was kind of scrawny but he actually bulked up last year he bulked up he was a had 63 had uh I think something some something close to 64 points 65 points in 67 games with Flint last year and he's been able to produce and put together a pretty strong OHL career in Flint and if you realize what's happened in Flint the past couple years that says a lot (laughs) yeah that not just ignoring the problems that the city has unfortunately faced but that franchise has been a an absolute dumpster fire Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm gonna go with Kamano as a guy who keep an eye on and could be could turn into a nice score in the NHL someday. Um, let's uh, let's finish it up with goalies, which which will be a nice way to kind of put a bow on this. Um, ha, ha. Um, the uh... I hate you. <laughs> it wasn't even intentional. 
<laughs> was it wasn't even intentional. Anywho, um, I think we both agree the top high ceiling, and we can just skip past him right away. Is Ottinger, correct? Yeah, we touched on him already. That's that's without a doubt. So now we get into uh, who's closest to playing in the NHL, even this season. When you when you when you look at it, we know and, and we know and let's put the caveat there. We know that uh, the uh, star signed Mike McKenna um, as the Mike McKenna is basically the third goalie for this season. But if there was to be an injury or whatnot, you one of these guys could have to play be an NHL backup in a game this season. So when you take a look at that, how do you break it down? I mean, if we're at the point hypothetically where there's a nuclear catastrophe in Dallas and they have to start Mike McKenna and another guy and have another guy as a backup who's not Ben Bishop or Kari Lettinen for a game. I, well, one, I feel like we'd have bigger problems to deal with than that, but I probably have to say Landon Bow, And I don't even think he's really NHL ready, but I don't really know. I mean, between him and DeRozier, it's kind of like a pick your whatever's going to get shelled the least, or you kind of just dress one of them and hope that your starter doesn't get hurt kind of thing. Because other than that, I don't, other than, I mean, if McKenna gets hurt, then Kari or Bishop get hurt, then I feel like they'd honestly probably sign someone. But Because I, I don't think either of these guys are close to NHL already. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're looking at in this group and you've got, basically you have, it's interesting because Landon Bow is a goalie who I think is a, uh, Phil DeRozier, uh, Phil DeRozier is the more talented goalie. He is the, he's the former CHL goalie of the year. He's, He's the he has more raw talent. He is he's got he he's quicker. He's got his he has a lot of those raw tools. Similar to Jack Campbell, he's not the strongest mental goalie. It's one of the, not 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 nearly as bad as Jack Campbell ran into, but he's not as not the strongest mental goalie. Landon Bow, on the other hand, is kind of that guy who's an undrafted free agent. His first, his only opportunity coming out of the WHL was an AHL contract, and he's kind of got it up, he's got kind of got it between the ears a little bit better. And he's got good size, but can he turn that into... Personally, I look at Bo, but Bo and DeRosia have an interesting competition in my mind where if one of them can prove over the course of this season, if one of them can... They're they're in a spot this season where they need to prove that they can be Ben Bishop's backup next year. That's that's what Bo and DeRozier are competing for this year because the stars obviously if the stars don't know who the backup goalie will be next season. Obviously this year it's Ben Bishop and Kari Lettinen. Next year it'll be Ben Bishop and could be a free agent. It could be Landon Bow. It could be Phil DeRozier. Heck, it could even be if Kari decides to take a super pay cut because he likes staying in Dallas. They could do that. But this season is all about Bo and DeRozier figuring out, can one of them prove, hey, we can be the backup goalie to Ben Bishop as early as next season. Um, and I give a slight edge to Bo right now, and that's to, to answer to answer the overlying question that we're on right now. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this year goes, but that's kind of something that 
hopeful that worse doesn't come to worse in that regard. Yes. Last last category, and this will be a fun way to uh, wrap up the podcast here. What? Uh, which guy? I mean, we've talked about three of the five goalie prospects, so there's only two left. Of the of the uh, the, which goalie prospect do you think that you should keep an eye on? The guys that. Well, I feel like we're gonna both say the same guy. Who are you gonna go? Because I was gonna say Colton Point, because he's. I mean, a, a guy who's gotten talked about because I feel like whenever goalie gets drafted, he does get talked about. But he's a, he's a guy with size. He's a guy who had a pretty strong freshman year with Colgate last year in limited action, and I, from what I heard he's gonna be the guy this year if i'm not mistaken so we, it will be interesting to see how he adjusts to that he's a guy who just turned 19 so he he was uh, we're talking about i mean i guess we were talking about jake ottinger as a 17 year old starting out his college hockey year but he played colton point played almost this entire last actually he played the entirety of last season because i don't think colgate made their post went deep in their postseason tournament he played this whole last year as an 18 year old so i mean He's a young guy, and it'll be interesting to see where his game goes. And, but I, I feel like he's got some potentially has some upside to him too. And Point is a, uh, I, I agree with you. I'm going with Colton Point. Colton Point is a guy who, he's a prospect who he was supposed to be the starter at Colgate last year. The Stars expected him to start last year at Colgate, but he, uh, he played his first couple games last year with undiagnosed mono. Um. And so then he... I'm sure that was fine. Oh, yeah, exactly. And he... I think... I think I, I'll have to look up the exact number, and I don't remember. Like, he finished the year with, a, like, a .918 save percentage, but I think after... in 2000, Once the calendar turned to 2017, he had, like, a 930 save percentage for the, in his final five or six games or something like that. Um, he's big. Um, he, he's a guy who... Colton Point, one of the things that was, he impressed me at development camp, and also something else I noticed about him at development camp too is, we we often talk about big goalies and their size and stuff like that. We talk about what they look like with their pads on and everything like that. Colton Point is a massive human being without goalie pads on. Like he is, uh, he he looks like a. Uh, it's funny. He kind of looks like he's got a very similar like facial hair and hairstyle to Philip DeRosier, actually. And so he just looks like Philip DeRosier who hit the gym. <laughs> and, and grew a couple inches. Like, <laughs> and so Point is a is a big human being, and he could be... Uh, he could... He, I... I, I you're right. We were, we're going to agree on this one. He's he's someone you have to keep an eye on. And you know what? If uh, maybe it works out well, where it becomes Ottinger and Point in six years from now or whatever it is. Now it's crazy to think that we're thinking that far ahead, but whatever. And that's a good problem to have. Yes. Well, with that, um, I think we've covered everything we planned on talking about today. Even though we kind of came in with no plan at all. So, good job. No, I think we were going to shoot this tomorrow night, and then I decided that I was not going. I, I literally, we've, um, we're down to one class now. So I literally have like an hour of class a day, three times a week, and then 
four hours of class the other two days. So it's really nice now, and I just did not want to do anything tonight. And I texted Sean, and I was like, hey, um, I can actually do this tonight because I'm not doing schoolwork anymore. So it was not improvised, but kind of improvised. Uh, it, it worked out well. We got through uh, we got through our share of rants and getting derailed by uh, the rest of the hockey world attacking Julius Anka. And, uh, and your dog's trying to murder something in your house. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that they're keeping the house safe. With that, uh, <laughs> with that, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, I think we're going to take... I don't think we're going to record for a little while. Um, basically, until something big happens. So that might be... Uh... Oh, we will have... Uh, I'll make the official announcement on the podcast. I did give... I can't believe I did this, but I gave Ryan... Ryan will be the... Uh, in August, I will be going on a. Uh, I will be taking my vacation in August, and at that point, Ryan will be filling in with the uh, guest as the guest uh, mailbag writer in August. So everyone can look forward to that, and uh, and I guess then the podcast will probably come back. We'll see. We'll see the podcast's future after how Ryan does on the mailbag there. I was gonna say I might. Uh, I might do so bad that we're gonna have to blow everything up and start over. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to ask me some sort of insider question, and I'm going to be like, who do you think I am? I'm a schmuck. <laughs> oh, don't worry, you won't look too stupid. Well, everyone, thank you for listening, even though I've said that four or five times now, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon enough.